Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, I have a, a special guest today. His name is Richard... Alston. We're going to talk about his career, his music, uh, and a whole bunch more. So we're going to take a break real quick. We'll be back in probably 40 seconds, and we will have our interview with Richard. You're listening to The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours, and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Everybody, welcome back to the core. I'm Tim Jacquet. I guess Richard, uh, you on the line? Yes. Yes, I'm <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. I know we had some technical difficulties with some recording uh, in the last hour. Well, welcome oh, to the program. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I'm happy to be here. Okay. I guess to begin with, if you don't mind, tell us about yourself. Our audience really love to hear personal stories. Uh, about the orders and verses as readers. So just tell us, uh, take a moment and tell us about yourself. Sure. I'm um, a concert pianist and college professor. I have been performing professionally since I was, I guess, about 14, 15 years old. And uh, I'm a graduate of the Juilliard School. I have a bachelor's and master's from there. And um, I sort of have a quite a, a busy life, I guess, with the performing, the teaching, and also I have a music ministry at a, a church in Montclair, New Jersey, called Trinity Presbyterian Church. So mm. I, my, my my play is quite full, but I, I, I enjoy it. I feel <laughs> I'm doing what I was meant to do on this earth. Wow. It, it, take us back from the very beginning when you, you first found out <laughs> that you had the talent. Um, how did you actually develop yourself at the very beginning? How did you know this is what, what your calling was? Well, you know, it's funny. I'm glad when you say when I first developed, or uh, first realized I had the talent, I don't think that happened until maybe in my teen years. But um, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was a pianist. She was also a soprano. 
and a music educator. And my mother and father met and both were in the medical field. My mother was an RN nurse and my father was a lab technician. They met in the hospital. And after they had me, my mother continued working. So my grandmother, I called her Nana, she took care of me while my mother was working. And all during the time, all during the day, she would play music for me on the piano. She would sing to me. And so from an infant, I was hearing music constantly. And then I guess once I was a toddler and discovered the piano, you know, just trying to reach up to it and play it, she saw that this interested me, and she began giving me lessons. Unfortunately, she passed away when I was five years old. She had a stroke. and oh. But my parents already noticed that I had a strong infatuation for the piano. And they found a local piano teacher for me. And uh, that was when the official study started, when I was five years old. And I just, I love music. I <clears throat> loved, I went to church with my parents and heard music in the church. And uh, just the piano fascinated me. I, I, I remember very vividly uh, my teacher was teaching me through a series of books called the John Thompson uh, Piano Course. And mm -hmm. I remember very vividly in the first grade book, it was the first time I played a note in the right hand and a note in the left hand at the same time. And just hearing that sound, it was a C below middle C and an E above middle C, just hearing that sound of the interval of a tenth, something triggered inside of me. And uh, back, I guess we'll say in the day, uh, there was a lot of classical music, especially played on cartoons. And one famous, famous cartoon was Tom and Jerry. They were playing uh, piano and dueling at the piano. And so I was hearing all this classical music. I didn't realize it was classical music. I think my father one day just explained that that's what it was called. But, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever I heard, I tried to play it at the piano. I could play by ear from a very early age, so six or seven. And uh, everything just escalated as far as my interest, as far as by practicing. But the real artistic development began when I was about 13. At that age, I began studying with a concert pianist in New York. Her name was Sylvia Rabinoff. And mm -hmm. things changed at that point. When I say they changed, she one day she said to me, did I want to be a good piano player or did I want to be a concert pianist? I was about 12 or 13 at the time, and I had seen Andre Watts on television. I saw Liberace on television, and there was something there was something about watching them perform on stage on this huge grand piano in front of people that just I fell in love with the idea of doing that, and I was already playing for people because from the time I was five or six when I was my first teacher, uh, Miss Early, she would have a recital every year, and so every spring I had my recital piece. And it was mm -hmm. held at a, a large church. So I began playing in front of audiences from the age six. In fact, I still to this day remember my first recital piece. And then it just it just continued. I, I, I think Mrs. Rabinoff, my parents, they saw I had this love.
for the instrument because I told Mrs. Rabinoff, no, I want to be a concert pianist. And even though she said to me, I'll be spending the rest of my life practicing hours a day and making <laughs> sacrifices, it, it it wasn't a sacrifice because, you see, I already saw the results. If I mm-hmm. practiced hard and worked hard and, 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 and practiced the repertoire, uh, that I could I could master it. I could play it. And uh, I began doing more performances. The first time I performed with orchestra, I was 15 years old in North Carolina at the Brevard Music Festival. And uh, it was it was just, it's a part of me. And it always has been a part of me. In fact, I'll share a story with you. I was in the wings getting ready to perform with an orchestra. I might have been about 21 years old. And the rehearsals didn't go very, very well. But here I was getting ready to walk out on stage and play with the 80-piece orchestra. And before I walked out, I said to myself, is this what you really want to do? <laughs> and I thought for all of a few seconds, and I said yes, because I remember it as a child, giving little what I called concerts for my toys. And so here I was about to walk out on stage, and this wasn't a concert for toys. This was a concert for real live people with a big orchestra. And so the answer was yes. Wow. And what did, when you actually started your, uh, the time of uh, with your teacher, and you you know moved from I think you mentioned John uh, Thompson, Thompson booklets. Mm-hmm. They're still using those too. <laughs> With that particular booklet, and you mentioned also, you know, you play for a church as well. Did that kind of help escalate your uh, your skill in one sense? Now you had a captive audience every single week if you're playing for a church. Uh, and well, did I it didn't influence you? Well, okay. Oh, okay. I, I started playing for a church when I was about seven or eight. Now, okay. all I played was the prelude. While the people were coming in, <coughs> they would sit down in the pew and meditate. And I had learned a couple of hymns. And what made that <coughs> excuse me, interesting was that I was playing it on a pipe organ. Wow. I discovered this when I was about seven years old, and it just totally blew me away because here was an instrument that had two keyboards for the hands and a whole other keyboard for your feet. And mm-hmm. so every every Sunday I would play the prelude at the beginning of the service. I wasn't thinking about the audience, to be perfectly honest. When mm-hmm. when I was uh, doing the recitals every spring with Miss Early, I wasn't thinking about the audience. I, I what what was going through my mind was here was a piece of music that I loved, and I was sharing it with some people. You know, this is the first time anyone has ever asked me about that. And I guess one of the things that's going through my mind is that there was no, I guess what people call nervousness or stage fright. I think that didn't come until maybe later. But from the ages of of 6 to about 12, it, it, it was just about playing this instrument that I loved. And if someone happened to be listening, great. <laughs> but but it 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 wasn't it, it there was no there was no fear there because I think 
I was practicing every day. But most importantly, there was a, a great love already inside me for making mm-hmm. music. Wow. In that transition, uh, what advice would you actually, in that particular moment of time, what advice would you give a person who, a uh, parent or a child who's around that age, seven years old, uh, and they're on the fence of continuing to develop that skill, or uh, should the parent say, mm, let me go in a different direction. I want him to be able to become a doctor, or should I go <laughs> what I think his skill is? And you have parents like that. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. They already mm-hmm. said that before <laughs> they were born, what you're going to be, and they're going to do all they can where you're going to be, and then some just let things flow. Uh, in those particular well, cases, it's it's. I've seen this. I've seen this many, many times, and I and I've seen this not just um, coming from parents of children, but I I see this from college students even, and it's 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 really sad because I think as a parent, you you have to first of all you have to realize that. You are the captain of the ship, and <clears throat> the child is the passenger. Now, what I mean by that is that the parent has to have their eyes open to where the child's interests are, are moving towards. And <clears throat> I was very fortunate with this, that I, I guess my parents noticed this talent in me or this love but <clears throat> what I would what I tell parents is two things. One, what I just said, look and see where the interest is lying, and then second, understand that if your child wants to undertake a musical instrument or anything for that matter, whether it be golf or tennis, that practicing is not easy. Practicing is not necessarily enjoyable. And so when I said the captain of the ship, they many parents, I think, in this time that we live in now, <clears throat> will say, I shouldn't have to make my son or daughter practice. And that is, I'll just say, initials BS. Okay, because, so... Because, let me just use an example. You look at the, look at the athletes of... Of, the, of Serena and her sister, the tennis players, and you look at the um, Tiger Woods. When you look at their background, not only did they show interest as a child, but their parents <clears throat> were there guiding them, steering them, inspiring them, and sometimes making them practice. And, and you know, so the, many parents don't, really uh, 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 observe keenly what the child's interests are. And then whatever they are, give them any type of inspiration you can. My father, during my teen years, in the time of 12 or 13 up until 18, we went to concerts every weekend to see pianists, every weekend. Uh, one of the pianists uh, that we saw that just passed away yesterday was Van Clyburn, and so this is this is the other thing that that parents have to do. They they have to uh, uh, expose their son or daughter 
to the people that are doing what their son and daughter is showing a love or curiosity about. Wow. In a, and when you talk about practicing itself, uh, what kind of describe what is a good practice for a, a youth or for a person in general? Should they just go lock themselves in the room and do a warm-up <laughs> and... Kind of tell us about the discipline of practicing. Well, this this has to be under the supervision of the instructor. So, but the you know, so you know, there's not a blanket answer. But one thing I will say is this: when I was a child, I heard all the great stories of pianists practicing for four, six, eight, ten hours a day. And and I remember one time trying to practice as long as I could, going over music and playing music. And I was trying, I think I was striving to do three hours. And when I began studying with Mrs. Rabinoff, she later told me, she said, well, no one sits there for six hours straight. You can do an hour and take a break and then come back and do another hour and take a break and come back and do 90 minutes. So the total might be, in that case, three and a half hours. But they didn't mm-hmm. sit there. But 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 what you what you need, this is, this is I, I, even though I'm not an athlete, from what I've just seen with athletics and, and uh, uh, athletes in practice, there are certain things that you have to do. Uh, to to develop the playing, I think every student needs to learn scales and arpeggios, and there are exercises, warm up exercises, and then I think if they're going to start practicing a piece of music, the important thing is that if they're if they're young, someone has to point out to them what they're trying to, what they should be working to achieve in that session. Now, one of the things that that, um, parents do not do, as far as music students, but uh, I mentioned Tiger Woods and and Serena and her sister, and that is sit down with the child while they're practicing. Um, Parents should attend the lesson, first of all, and observe what the teacher is doing with their child at that lesson, what the teacher is going over, what the assignment is. Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. Go ahead. Okay. Um, what, What the assignment is. And then every time that child sits down to practice, the parent should be sitting next to them so that if if they're learning how to play Happy Birthday, the child starts off playing it, and if the child makes a mistake, with sensitivity and love, especially the love, the parent needs to say, okay, um, my family called me Ricky. Ricky, you made a mistake on that second measure. Let's do that again. One day I came home from shopping with my father, and I must have been about maybe seven or eight years old, and I came into the house and discovered my mother was playing my piano lesson. She was actually at the piano 
playing the piece of music that I was supposed to be practicing. And this, and, 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 and it was funny because when she would do this, she would try to do it when I wasn't home because one time she did it when I was home and I pointed out a mistake she was making. But understand what was <laughs> happening. Understand what was happening. She could better instruct me on how to practice if she had an idea of what I was expected to do. Now, as I got more and more advanced, this, she stopped this, but 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 she was always listening to me. Even if she no longer could play the music I was playing, she was always listening to me. And uh, and if I stopped playing and she was in the next room, she'd say, well, Ricky, why did you stop? I don't hear anything. <laughs> So this is the this is the other thing that parents don't realize how much of an active role they must play in their child's life. But I think being a parent, and I'm not one, but what I have observed as being a teacher and instructor is mm-hmm. the most important responsibility in the world. Uh, your desires and your dreams and aspirations are no longer first. At least I believe that. Now, some people may get angry at me for saying that. But I I really feel that when you have a son or daughter, their dreams and aspirations have to come first, not yours anymore. And and a lot of parents, you know, I realize parents have to work, and, and, and that's absolutely necessary. But I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about the fact that if you have a son or daughter that's showing a talent in the area, that has to mean actually more to you than it does your son or daughter. Mm-hmm. Because you realize that they can't do it on their own. Wow. When you have a child that's that's uh, from the age of 2 to maybe 12, they can't do it on their own. They need your love. They need your inspiration. They need your guidance, and and that my you know I wouldn't be talking to you right now if mm-hmm. my parents had not made sacrifices. That's the word, sacrifices. And when I say that the child's dreams and aspirations and desires uh, are more have to be more important than your own, that's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. Wow. Let's take a break real quick, and we're going to go ahead and play one of your music. It's about three minutes long. Okay. Um, Since we're closing out Black History Month, Deep River is a piano trio. uh, Oh, that's the piano, violin, and and cello, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. We'll take a break real quick, and we'll play this one. We'll be back in about four minutes. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. 
another beautiful piece. Thank you for Deep playing River. that. Tell us, what's the expectation for a person who, want, who has the desire to be a concert pianist? What do they really need to have in a foundation in order to prepare for it? Are they looking at concerts? Are they looking at a lot of hard work? Uh, yeah. Trying to <laughs> yeah, so kind of tell us, how can you become a, a concert pianist? Well, well, well first... This is something that has to start at a very the the education has to start at a very young age. Um, you, you again, I, I I constantly, even though I'm not an athlete, refer to um, Tiger Woods and and Serena and her sister because people understand if they if they look at their background, they started as children. And and this is you know there's there's a lot of instruction there's a lot of development that has to take place so it it, it has to begin at a, a very very early age now one of the problems that exists now is that the schools do not the public schools do not have the education in the arts that they did when I was growing up um, mm-hmm. the exposure. Is not there, and and so uh, it, there's there's a, a great need then for the parents if they realize their son or daughter is enjoying singing or is enjoying playing the piano. Uh, again, they they have to supply the exposure. One other thing that is needed as they when they are a child is. You have to, as a parent, acknowledge, okay, my son or daughter is showing this interest in the piano. Not only expose them, but not have any, uh, don't overload the child. This is this is a major problem that I also see when I meet parents and meet children, that um, I, for some reason, parents seem to be reluctant to... Just give them the piano lessons, mm-hmm. and and they 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 want oh piano lessons, and then on 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 Saturday have tennis lessons, and then uh, also on the weekend uh, 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 take them for sw- swimming. You know the child the child can only do so much, and and that's why I say the parent must observe where the interest is coming from. Where is the young love coming from or 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 moving towards and and then it's 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 a, it's really a gamble then because you see all the parent can do and all the child can do is practice and study and be exposed and then continue with that now some children develop at a very early age, some of them their talent i mean look my goodness, look at Michael Jackson. I mean, when he was eight years old, it was obvious that this kid was going to be an entertainer. And But again, whether good or bad, I don't know all the stories, but he had a father that recognized that. So uh, the first thing the, and the parent has to do is to observe the child, see where their interests lie, and then find teachers that can instruct them and and that's another thing that's why it's sad that the schools are not doing their part 
any longer because it's very expensive. Lessons, mm-hmm. lessons. And and the more the child or the more the individual, so let's even talk about teenagers, progress, the more expensive the lessons get. And so that's that's another difficulty. But um it's it's you just you have to just observe. You just have to observe and you know, where the love is. All of those individuals I just mentioned now, Michael Jackson, Tiger Woods, um, Serena and her sister, they showed this interest at very early ages. And then you have to have come back to it, the parental support. Is uh, it is there with that support, they give that support mm-hmm. is it a uh I know you can always fall back on teaching. But is there really a career today uh, like it oh, was a, probably yes. forty years ago? There, well, all I have to all I have to say is there. Even though the, the music public education is not what it once was, there are music teachers in the school system. Mm-hmm. There are church musicians, <laughs> some of which get paid very very well, and so I I you know it. it it's sort of, I don't understand at times when the parent says something to fall back on because the reality is any, no career is actually, how can I say, what do you say, um, guaranteed. You can go to medical school and and excel and get high grades and be the top of your class and then you go into a residency, but you have to decide, well, am I going to be a practicing doctor, having a practice with my patients, or am I going to work with a hospital? You know, mm-hmm. th- there's, there's, nothing that's, there's nothing that's guaranteed. You, you can find a person who, uh, who is a doctor, a surgeon to be specific, and can be one of a highly regarded surgeon. Unfortunately, something happens to one of their hands, and they can no longer can practice. They no longer can do surgery any longer. So we we are all uh, moving through our lives. What I believe, you know, with prayer and hope <laughs> that we, we we will be able to always continue to do what we want, what we're doing, and what we love doing. But you know, I I I, I don't know. Some people, you know, I give my I give my students a brochure. Uh, the first time I meet them at the college, called Careers in Music. And mm-hmm. this brochure has at least 12 careers that are delved into in this brochure. And one of the things about this brochure, it tells the student what they need to have learned in elementary school and high school, what talent they should possess or the ability. It, it talks about job opportunities. It even talks about salaries. So I give this to my students, you know, so they they have an understanding of there's all of these opportunities await for them. But the the major problem is not actually that they have something to fall back on. The major mm-hmm. problem is that they develop the discipline. That's where that's where the problem lies, because you know uh, I think whatever you're going to do, again. There are many lonely hours, whether you want to be an athlete, 
you know, a musician. Uh, you you have to, we talk about that word again, sacrifice. Then it, then it's the, the sacrifice that the person uh, who's pursuing the career has to make mm-hmm. sacrifices. They uh, if they're a teenager and um, they really love playing the piano or playing the violin, uh, they have to realize that the practice has to come first. So they may not be able to go to that party on Saturday night with their peers. How and, many hours and, and, uh, per? I'm gonna, go ahead. And 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 this this is an, another problem uh, that that the parents are needed to sort of act as a buffer against because you know uh, uh, if 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 they want to do something like this, uh, develop their talent in music, a lot of their friends, a lot of students are not going to understand this, and so this is this is the other sometimes um, hurdle that has to be overcome. They have to realize that they they can't be if there's such a thing as a typical teenager. You were about to ask me something, I think. Yeah, uh, for example, if if you have a uh, student who wants to be the next Andre Watts, uh, who wants to go on tour, who wants the exposure, uh, they have the piano skill there, how can they make that next leap uh, in performance well, to get those bookings? They have to be, first, well, first of all, they have to be in an environment that um, promotes the education. So they have to be enrolled in one of the great music schools of the country. I mentioned I, I was in uh, graduate of the Juilliard School. This is one of the great music schools of the world. And um, I was introduced to that to that name, the Juilliard School, when I was six years old because my first teacher, Miss Early, she was a graduate of the school. And mm-hmm. then there was one Sunday afternoon when I was about 10 or 11, uh, and my father took me on a, what I called a New York excursion, where he took me to the Juilliard School to see it. He took me to Carnegie Hall. He took me to Lincoln Center, which was just, as I just finished being completed. So they have to be in one of these schools. Uh, a lot of students hear the name Juilliard. I've come across many of them. And they'll say, I want to go to Juilliard. And, and I have to say to them, well, you are... Um, uh, 18, and uh, you're not developed enough to go there, and they don't understand what I'm what I what I mean by that. And I say, okay, for example, you're playing a piece by Bach right now, and they say yes, and you and I say you're working hard on it, right? And they say yes. I said there are students, and I said you're 18 years old, 19 years old, freshman in college, yes. There are students in the Juilliard School that are six years old that are playing what you're wow. playing right now. Uh, so, you know, it it takes a person who's knowledgeable to be able to tell the student whether or not they can be headed in that direction. Uh, and and again, there's so many variables that that come into play, and even when everything is going well, sometimes it just doesn't it just doesn't happen. And so, uh, you know. All one can do is is practice as much as they can, listen to their mentors, 
listen to their advisors. This is another thing that we, talk, we you and I are talking about right now that's important. So many students feel that they know it all. I, I have I have I come across students <laughs> from the ages of thirteen all the way to twenty one and 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 I explained to them that when I was when I first went to Mrs. Rabinow for the audition and after she accepted me, I was told by the gentleman who introduced me to her and my parents to her, we were in the elevator, we had just left the apartment, she accepted me as a student. And he looked down at me and he said, Richard, if she tells you to eat, you just eat it. <laughs> I won't say, I think your viewers, your listeners can fill in the blank. And and I did not question. You see, this is, this is the other uh, unfortunate factor because students have to realize if they go to work with an instructor that they want to be, a, they need to be a sponge. And absorb everything they can, okay? Not to question. Now, if after a certain period of time, if things are not going well, yes, then the parents and then you ask questions. But you have to go in realizing that I am a lump of clay, basically. Mm-hmm. And I need to be molded. I need to be instructed. And 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 if you're not going to listen, then why go study with that person? Absolutely. We're going to take a caller real quick, and okay. uh, and then we're going to talk about, I think, uh, Vi Claiborne. He'll be back in a moment. Hold on a second. Okay. Okay, caller Erico 703 you're on the air. How you doing? Uh, great. Hello, sir. You How are question. you? Hello. Yes, my, my question was, well, first, I disagree with the last statement, but you do what you do. That's a beautiful thing. Evidently, you're helping children, so that's a plus, but... I disagree with the point of, you know, sometimes you have to let those children fail. But my question was, have you ever heard of uh, Dr. Robert Pritchard? I don't think so, no. He was actually one of the first concert African-American pianists pianists and virtuosos. He actually Mm -hmm. has his recordings in the Smithsonian right now. Uh, He did his first actual commercial recording in 1962. That was my mm-hmm. question. Thank it's you. Pritchard, like P R I T H E R. It's because in my in my collection I, I have an H A R D Pritchard. Because I have a large record collection, and I and I know I have a recording made by uh, an, it was African American, yes. Yes. Yeah, and I know I have a recording by an African named Robert. I have to check. That might be his. Okay, he's still okay. actually alive. He lives in the Northern Virginia area. I saw him yesterday. Okay, great. Oh wow. Okay, I really appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much. Take care, be well. Okay. One second. If you don't mind, kind of tell us about uh, the Golden Age. It seemed like with this past century, in the fifties, I think it looked like we reached our peak uh, with uh, classical piano music. You have the Liberace's of the time. By Claiborne and many, many others, Andre Watts. Do you think because of education and the cost of education today and the programs within the schools of the 90s that we have, we're losing uh, touch of uh, that particular art? 
The same thing we were now, running through even with organ music. With organ music, you mentioned? Yeah, the same thing with organ music. Uh, it's so expensive today to put pipe organs in the church. Uh, mm-hmm. Even, you know, that's become a challenge. In the past, it wasn't a problem, but now more so today it I, is. I, I, you know, I feel that that it isn't uh, worse now. I feel it's better because you have, you know, even though there are many districts that don't have thriving music programs in the school, but many, many do. And you have organizations, for example, like the Sphinx organization. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's an organization um, that is seeking to advance string minority string players. In fact, mm-hmm. just last week or the week before, they had their competition and selected winners. Uh, so I I disagree now. I think, as far as as the the organists are concerned, many churches I think may not have pipe organs in the church. But I I think the problem with the music in the church is not that they don't have a pipe organ. It's not. It's that they're not. Uh, exposing the young people to all types of music. Now, every congregation is different. I realize that. Mm-hmm. But um, once upon a time, you had a larger variety of music in the black church than you have now. Uh, mm-hmm. Many, many churches have abandoned having, for example, classical anthems in their church uh, and replacing it with, with gospel music. So I think I think that is a problem now, but I I know that there are, are many works being composed for organ, uh, pipe organ to be specific, by African Americans. So it's it's you know it's it's a little I think it's better now actually than wow. it was say in the sixties. The, the touch I want to take a break real quick and then want to touch mm-hmm. on uh, pianist. Uh, by Claiborne, who, who passed away mm-hmm. uh, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, have another title, a Haydn Trio in G Major. We're going to take yes. a break real quick and listen to that, and we'll talk a little bit more. Be back okay. in a moment. All right.
powerful piece. A lot of energy. Yes, thank if you. If you had time to go back, if you had a time capsule, when you went back in time, mm-hmm. and there was one composer you can you can go and visit, who would you actually go visit, and why? Probably Fred. Probably Franz Liszt, because wow. I enjoy playing. Um, composition by Liszt. Uh, there's a video of myself doing a rhapsody by Liszt on YouTube, and uh, Liszt was the first great concert pianist. In fact, he was the one responsible for the way we sit on stage, meaning that you see the profile. Prior to that, the pianist had their back to the audience, and it was for, because of vanity reasons actually <laughs> that he, he did it. <laughs> That he wanted the audience to see his profile, but but he was a phenomenal, given the historical accounts and the music he composed and played, he was a phenomenal musician, and uh, just I, I would just like to have been able to play for him and 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 uh, um, listen to his other students, and I have a couple of recordings. Of, stu- of students, of pianists who were students of Liszt. And I also want to tell that listener that I did have um, Robert Pritchard's recording in my in my library. I didn't understand the, the name at first, but then uh, while I was on hold with you, I ran and, and checked, and I had to listen <laughs> to it again because I haven't listened to it. In, I have a, I, one, at one point, that was my hobby, collecting recordings of pianists. And not just pianists, but collecting of recordings of African Americans. Like I have a very large collection of, of African American opera singers in in my library, and so um, I I do have that recording. But that would be the composer I would want to meet. Wow, he uh, he wrote some really challenging pieces. Um, do you know why some of his things are just so difficult uh, to play? Well, well, List actually had someone who inspired him. There was a, a great violinist called Paganini, and Paganini played the violin like no one had ever before him. And when List heard Paganini, he wanted to do at the piano what Paganini was doing on the violin, meaning play scales very rapidly, arpeggios, octaves, uh, all of these things. And so he sought to take piano technique as far as it could go, as he saw Paganini did with violin technique. And so uh, you know, he didn't purposely say, I'm going to write a piece that people are going to find it difficult to play. He was challenging, again, challenging his, his talent and wanted to just to see just where he, as far as where he could take it. Mm-hmm. Wow, it, uh, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but it seemed like he, he had like ten fingers, you know, on each hand. Some of the <laughs> <laughs> his pieces. How, how can you stretch out this far? But uh, uh, it was some challenging. Well, you know, well, that's, that's why we we have to practice his pieces for hours <laughs> so that we can do it, and I mean hours. <laughs> Wow. Uh, kind of also, you know, Clyber, uh, Van Cliburn just passed away this this yeah. uh, week. How did he really impact? I mean, he was a really, really quiet, humble person. And I'm here in the mm-hmm. Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we were trying to actually arrange something last fall, and he wasn't feeling well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they just try to reach us, you know, sometime in the spring. Well, like you said, after the holidays. Um, tell us what his impact uh, well, in the world. Well, one of the things that you just said, that and he, he was a very humble and spiritual man. But if you have a chance, watch video footage of him playing. He played with such love and passion for the music that the audience, the listener, immediately, immediately felt that and and, and, and saw that. Uh, I think at, at the time, if you, if you read his biography, uh, he was winning competitions in this country and performing, but when he went to Russia and he won the first Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto, uh, Tchaikovsky Piano Competition, um, that put him on an international map as far as people becoming aware of him. And so uh, his his playing, he played the piano, and this is why many people feel he won. There is the Russian school of playing, which is... Mm-hmm very impassioned playing, playing with great piano technique, and and he played like that. And I think, again, we look, we scratch the surface of his background, of his heritage. His mother was a pianist. She was a concert pianist also, and she was his first teacher. So here we have, again, somebody whose talent was recognized at a very early age, and he received magnificent guidance from her, and and uh, it 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 just blossomed and grew and developed and developed and developed to the point where he had a major ability at the piano. Tell us about that passion, because even within the pieces, that you, the two pieces we just played this past hour, mm-hmm. it's it, it's just not about just playing. It's playing. How can you actually bring your soul out into the music? Now that I don't think there's an easy answer for. Um, I wouldn't even really know where to begin. You have to be taught what the music is about first. I say that with a story that I had learned or was instructed to learn a piece called The White Peacock. And I was about 13 or 14 years old. This piece of music was written in the style of the Impressionist composers like Debussy and Ravel. And it was foreign to me. I didn't understand Mm -hmm. it. It didn't have a very clear melody. But I learned it. After I learned the music and could play it, Mrs. Ravenel said, I want you to go to the Bronx Zoo and look at a peacock. Watch a peacock for at least an hour. And I looked at her like, are you crazy? And she saw the expression on my face, and she said, you'll never play this piece effectively unless you understand how a peacock moves, because that's what the composer is trying to relay to the listener, this image of peacock doesn't walk or or fly or run like a pigeon. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so uh so when you talk about this you have to understand what the what the the music the composer 
is trying to say through the music. Then all all one can do as a teacher or as a musician is try to find ways to relate this to the audience. Um, hmm. Playing with your with passion is easier said than done. Because we're all individuals. We all have individual personalities. And so I could say that to another student about going to the Bronx Zoo, and they could watch the peacock and observe it and come back, and they're not, there's, no, there's no difference in the performance of how they're playing it. So this is a very special thing, I think, that comes under the, the category of talent. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that cannot be uh, created. You can learn the music, play all the correct notes, the right tempi, the right dynamics, and whether your personality comes through or not, as instrumentalists, it, it can't be guaranteed. Singers have a little more of an advantage than instrumentalists because singers have words they have a text they have lyrics so mm-hmm. a singer can can explore the literal text of what the composer wrote now hopefully the singer has an understanding of what the lyrics mean but then again it may be a subject that the singer is not familiar with or doesn't have an emotional connection with. So it's the, the bringing the passion to the music. That's something that, as an instructor, as a teacher, all we can do is try to inspire and use words. Sometimes my teacher was very good for that. She would write in on a passage the word tenderly or lovingly, mm-hmm. and I could connect with that. Again, it's a little abstract because if you said to me, well, you know, okay, you, you, you hear the word lovingly, how do you turn that into a sound? And, again, a teacher has to listen and and maybe say, okay, when you start this melody off, fine, but then as you get towards the end of the melody, slow it down a little bit or play it a little softer. I did a master class this past September at Westminster Choir College, and uh, it was wonderful working um, on my Facebook page. There are pictures of my working with the students, and I was able to talk to them in this manner that Mrs. Revenal spoke with me and use these words. And, and a good point, uh, most of the time, it helped them. Hmm. Wow. In closing, what do you like to leave uh, our audience with about you and your music and and classical music in general? I I think I would like to to leave them with that. um, Hopefully, I have the opportunity to play for them live at some point, and and if that's possible, if I come to their town and do a concert. Please bring some young people. Please bring them, because that was the greatest influence I had. I saw Andre Watts make his debut on television, and I must have been about maybe 
eight years old at the time. But seeing this young black boy who was just a little older than I was left made a, a very strong and violent impression because he was someone doing what I aspired to do or wanted to do. And then by seeing him, I realized that it was possible. Hmm. Wow. And the, if there was a song that speaks to you and to tell us all about you, if there's a classical piece, what what would be that piece? <laughs> I'm laughing because it depends upon the mood I'm in. Um, <laughs> if I think if if I think about the videos on YouTube, there's a, a a piece that I love very much called Adagio in F minor by Chevalier de Saint George. I guess that is the very tender, loving and and gentle side of Richard Alston. But then there is another piece, piano piece called List Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. Six, which is mm-hmm. the impassioned Richard Alston, the, the outgoing, the the Richard Alston that is not afraid to put his head in the lion's mouth. There's a saying uh, that many classical musicians use, and my Italian is not good, so I'm going to give the translation. And it's called In the Mouth of the Wolf. And it means when we go out on stage, that's what we're about to do. <laughs> Put our heads <laughs> in the mouth <laughs> of the wolf. <laughs> wow. Well, we're going to leave it as that. Thank you for being on the program. We're going to close out with that. Thank Hungarian you for having for the number six list. Thank you so much. And my if pleasure. they need to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? Uh, they can go to my Facebook page or just Google Richard Alston Pianist. My website is Richard C. Austin.com, but if they just Google Richard Austin Pianist, all my videos come up, uh, information, my website comes up, and they can 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 contact me. All the different ways that are there, the email on my Facebook pages, my even my cell number, my address, and I would love to hear from people. Perfect. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Have a good day. Take care. Same here. Bye bye. Again, this is a grand rhapsody number six. Number six.
Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.